Well, take your Bible this morning, if you will, and turn to Ephesians, I'm sorry, Acts, Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, and uh, we're going to start at verse number 28. As most of you know, I've been preaching a series that I've called, um, Finally My Brethren, in these, my last few messages as your pastor, and just to give you a little bit of a review of the three messages that we've gone through so far, if you remember the first message I preached, which uh, we looked at the song, Victory in Jesus. And if you'll remember, we saw uh, six gospel truths in that song. The first one was evangelism, the importance of sharing our faith. He says, I heard an old, old story. And then how a Savior came from glory. We talked about the incarnation. That song gives us the truth that Jesus, the Word of God, was made flesh, came from heaven and dwelt among us. And then how he died on Calvary to save a wretch like me. That is the atonement. We understood and we rehearsed the truth that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And then I repented of my sins. We talked about repentance. We can't access that forgiveness without turning from our sin in repentance. And then we talked about sanctification. How uh, God can take us and He heals our spirit. He makes us and molds us into who He wants us to be. He can take a broken person emotionally and spiritually and put that person back together with the grace of God and the peace of God. And then that last verse where the writer says, I heard about a mansion in heaven. Of course, that's glorification. That's what's coming in the future. So we talked about those six truths. And then the second message, we looked at the 23rd Psalm. And we went over, and you remember I preached twice, I believe, since I've been here, through the 23rd Psalm. And we talked about the Good Shepherd, that Jesus is our Good Shepherd. And then last week, I gave you seven words from Scripture to remember. You could call them seven foundations for a healthy Christian walk. And if you remember, the first one was Jesus. We must focus on Jesus. The second one was faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. The third was Scripture. The Bible is the basis for what we believe and the standard by which we measure all things. And the fourth was prayer. We're to pray without ceasing, to be in an attitude of prayer. The fifth was church. And you'll remember, I shared church is very, very important. Uh, many of you, most of you here are members at Satilla Baptist Church. Now, it's not a sin uh, to not come to Satilla Baptist Church, or either I'm going to be sinning in a couple of weeks. Uh, but it is a sin to not go to church. So if ever you reach a point where you say, well, I, I, you know, I just can't go to Satilla. Well, don't sit at the house. You need to be somewhere in church. And I would encourage you, if you're a member of this church, to come to this church. Come and help this church and grow in the Lord at this church. So it is important to go to church. And sixth was confession. The things that we should not say. We should not use our tongue as a weapon, and we talked about that, and have a negative confession. But the things we should say, we should tell people about Jesus. And lastly, the seventh truth was obedience. And that there's nothing more important in our Christian walk than obedience. Well, this morning we're going to go to Acts chapter 20. And this is a famous passage, and when we preach through the book of Acts, you'll remember I mentioned that uh, Paul here in Acts chapter 20, he is leaving and going to Jerusalem. And most of you remember the story. Paul, he ministered in the Ephesian church longer than in any other church. He was there in person at least three years, if not more. And he was in and out for quite a few years. So Paul had a very deep relationship with the Ephesian church. And 
Uh, he felt impressed of God to go to Jerusalem. Nobody wanted him to go to Jerusalem. Everybody said, please don't go to Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit spoke through prophets. And uh, you remember one prophet took Paul's belt and he took it off and he took Paul's belt and he bound Paul's hands with it. And he says, the Holy Spirit says that the Jews in Jerusalem will take the owner of this belt and bind his hands and deliver him to the Gentiles. But none of that moved Paul. Matter of fact, I actually preached and we talked a little bit about do you think Paul disobeyed the Lord when he went to Jerusalem because he had so many people tell him, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. You never saw the Holy Spirit say, don't go. You just saw the Holy Spirit telling, you're going to have trouble when you get there. But Paul was, he was convinced and he says, I must go to Jerusalem. So there's this famous heartwarming passage where Paul meets with the elders of the Ephesian church. He didn't meet with the whole church. It was the elders, the, 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 the men who were tasked with leading the church. He met with the Ephesian elders and, and he spoke with them. And we're not going to go all the way through it, but I'm going to use a basis uh, for the message this morning, something that he said in Acts chapter 20, verse number 28, in speaking with them. He gives them a word of warning. A word of warning. And I'll go ahead and give you the title to the message this morning. The title to the message this morning is Beware the Wolves. Beware the Wolves. In verse number 28, Paul, speaking to the Ephesian elders, he says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So Paul says that after my departure, savage wolves will come in. Beware the wolves. There's just a couple, before we begin to talk about the wolves, I want, there's so much in that little passage. Very quickly, I just want you to notice a couple, all the phrases that I've underlined. The first one is take heed. Paul is saying you need to take heed to yourself. Now, I don't care how good looking you are, how handsome a man you are, and some of you out there, don't raise your hand, but you look in the mirror and you think, man, do I look good. You know who you are. Don't raise your hand. And I don't care how good-looking a woman you are, and, and I'm going to stay away from getting in trouble with the women, but, but I don't care how beautiful you are. I want to tell you something. If you don't take heed to yourself, in about four or five days or less, you are going to stink to high heaven. If you don't brush your teeth, again, I don't care how beautiful you are, I don't care how handsome you are, you're going to have bad breath. Your teeth are going to start rotting out. I mean, you must take heed to yourself. You can't say, well, look how good I look. I don't have to bathe. I, I, you think I would ever stink? That's impossible. No, it's the law of nature. If you don't bathe yourself with soap, you are going to stink. And rest assured, my mother used to tell me this when I was a little boy, and I've always remembered it. Because I got the idea, I'll just confess, when I was a kid, I think I've shared this before, but taking a bath, that just wasn't for me. And I can remember, I, I must have went two or three days, you know, and I snuck by and she'd say, take a bath, and I'd go, you know, she's 
messing with my sister. Somehow I'd managed to get away with it. And she was exact combing my hair, I think. She said, what is that behind your ear? She said, let me get a rag. And she rubbed there and it come back. It was just all black and dirty, you know. And she got me in the tub and she washed me from one end to the other. And she, and she, she gave me a little speech. She said, now, listen, uh, don't ever, you have got to take a bath. She said, you know, you're going to stink if you don't take a bath. I, and I remember I had a great comeback. I said, yeah, but I don't smell myself. She said, well, other people will always smell you before you smell yourself. Now, I don't know if that's really true or not. I think it is. But I've always remembered that. But let me tell you, that is true spiritually. Paul's saying you must take heed to yourself spiritually. You need to look after yourself spiritually. You need to look in the mirror every day spiritually or you're going to start stinking spiritually. You're going to smell. And others are going to smell you first. You're going to think, boy, I'm great. I look good. And the people that are going to get around you said, my word, he stunk. And I'll tell you another story. When I worked at Harvey Supermarket, this was my first experience with that back in about 1981, 82. I can remember we took groceries out. And I remember this older gentleman came in, and God bless him. I don't know what, I don't think he was homeless. He may have been. I I don't know. But I know he would come in kind of regularly. And I, I I guess he lived by himself. He seemed to be physically able to walk and move around. He could buy him some groceries. But it, th- that man smelt so bad that it would physically make you sick. And, and you just could not get close to him. I'm not talking about a little body odor, but I'm talking about just, just terrible. You know, you'd think it was such to the point that he must have been unhealthy. And I'm sure he was. But my friend, those are physical realities. But Paul is making a point. Take heed to yourself spiritually. We all can spiritually get to the point that we make other people sick. We make other people sick with our hypocrisy. We make other people sick with the fact that we might be pretending to be something that we truly aren't. So Paul says, Take heed to yourself and to all the flock which God, the Holy Spirit, has made you overseers. So as Christians, it's not only our business to take care of ourselves, to take heed to ourselves, but but you all, we're to all be responsible for one another and be accountable to one another. We're to look after one another. And then he says, to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Let me tell you something, friend. God cares about the church. Now, the church is not this building. This is a wonderful building. has many great memories for me as well as the other building. All these buildings here, as for many of you. But that's not the church. Individuals, you are the church. Jesus didn't die on the cross for this structure. He died on the cross for you. The members of this church, the people that make this body and every other body of Christ all over the world. Jesus died. He purchased you with His blood. So let me tell you what that means. That means that anybody that tinkers with the church of God and the people of God, you have to give an account to the owner. You know, if I go in and I start going a parking lot and I take a sledgehammer and I just start busting windows. Well, I'm going to have a pretty good time for a little while. But somebody's going to say, some crazy man out there busting windows in the parking lot. Well, if you've just bought a brand new Lexus and you walk out there and there you see I've busted the windows on it, who am I going to have to give an account to? Them. Them. There you go. <laughs> Spoken like a true Graham. He's not going to call the law. He's going to handle it. He's going to jump right in there on top of it. It's not going to be the sheriff I'm going to give an account to. It's going to be Mr. Graham. 
that I'm going to give an account to. I, I don't want to give an account to Mr. Gray. <laughs> Certainly not. I, I, I'll, I'll leave you alone. I won't, I won't stay there very long. But if you tinker with something that belongs to someone, you're going to have to give an account to them. Let's make it a little bit closer. Uh, you mess with somebody's wife. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you mess with somebody's husband. That's a good way to get killed. So I'm not joking. There's a many a fella in the graveyard uh, because they mess with somebody's wife. They mess with somebody's husband. That belongs to me. That belongs to me. Don't mess with that. And my friend, listen. God owns the church. You belong to God. And God will guard and protect and fight for what belongs to Him. He loves you. He is jealous over you, as the Bible says. God loves you. So God is telling, uh, Paul is telling the Ephesian elders, listen, the church belongs to God. And you've been given a charge. All of you here are members of this church. You all have a responsibility to look after yourself because you belong to God and to look after one another because the church belongs to God. And then he says, for I know this. Now, Paul didn't have to have a word of knowledge. He just knew human nature. He said, I know this. He didn't say, well, but look out, this might happen. He said, I know this is going to happen. This is going to happen. I know this is going to happen that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now, the greatest danger in that part of the world that a sheep had is a wolf. You know, a a wolf is is a killing machine. A, A wolf is designed to kill and to kill efficiently and effectively. And, you know, one of the things about a wolf, a wolf's not stupid. Now, it's one thing to be have a, an ability to kill but not be very smart. But you put intelligence and craftiness together and then the ability to do harm and danger. Now, you've got a dangerous machine, and that's what a wolf is. They're crafty. They work in, in packs. They work together. And they can do tremendous harm to a flock of sheep. And Paul says, beware of the wolves. He said for, he mentions there will be those who come in, And there will be those from among yourselves who will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember. Now, I want to talk about bewaring of wolves, looking out for wolves. How can you at Satilla, you are going to have wolves. And there are three, really three types of wolves. There are wolves from without. That is, most people think of that as a preacher coming in or maybe a speaker coming in and and being a wolf in sheep's clothing, and they come in and and they're going to draw people away. Well, in Paul's day, that was really the only way that you could come in and affect a group of people. But you know, in Paul's day, they didn't have podcasts. In Paul's day, they didn't have television. You don't have to, you know, I know we were talking with the deacons as we were thinking about, you know, trying to prepare as y'all will begin to organize and and begin to try to uh, make way after I'm, I'm gone and you know, one of them mentioned, well, you know, uh, when you ask people to come and speak, we kind of depend on you to kind of check them out and make sure, you, you know, they're biblically sound and that forth. And so, you know, as we begin to look, we want to be sure, hey, but guess what, guys? These folks out here, probably most of the preaching they listen to don't come from behind this pulpit. It comes from the Internet. It comes from podcast. It comes from television. It comes from radio. So listen, a wolf don't have to come in and stand behind this pulpit. The wolves are everywhere. 
And with the technology that we have today, anybody can pick up a, a tele, pick up a phone or pick up a computer and listen to anything. I mean, you can listen, find out how to have a seance. You can listen to find out how to sacrifice a goat in a, in a devil worship ceremony. I mean, you can listen to anything. Now, I don't think anybody's doing that. But what we do like to do is we do like to listen to things that make us feel good. And if there's anything that our country is greatly blessed, or should I say cursed with, it is feel-good preachers. Feel-good preachers. They're everywhere. Preachers that make us feel good about ourselves, feel good about where we are, not ever step on our toes, never tell us that, listen, you need to tighten up a little bit. Uh, you need to seek the Lord. And so those are one type of wolf, a wolf from without. There's a second type of wolf, a wolf from within. That is a wolf that rises up from within the church. A person who, uh, for whatever reason, they decide they want to accumulate power, they want to accumulate authority, or, or, or they just want to affect people in a negative way. But there's a third type of wolf, and this is the wolf that I want to focus on this morning. That is not a wolf from without or a wolf from within, but this is a wolf that is within us. The wolf that is within us. I believe most of you here are familiar with Scripture. You should be able to guard from the wolves from without. You should be able to compare what you hear on a podcast or in a sermon or even from behind this pulpit to what the Scripture says. And say, is that, is that Bible? I mean, is that just a positive thinking or is that the Bible? You should be able to protect yourself from wolves from within as people, as a church that is bound together and accountable to one another. To keep anybody from getting out of hand, so to speak. But the most dangerous of these I would present to you is the wolf that is from within us. And that wolf is something that the Bible plainly calls sin. You see, we all wrestle with sin. I wrestle with sin. Every one of you here wrestles with some type of temptation and some type of sin. And if you were to say, well, Brother William, I actually don't wrestle uh, with sin. Well, you just confessed what you're wrestling with, and that's pride. And also, you need some help with deception because you've been deceived. You are wrestling with sin. Well, there's a third case, and that is you may have already given in, and so nobody's attacking you because you've already wrote, you know, raised the white flag. You know, the devil doesn't attack what already belongs to him. So you're already his. He has no need to attack you. He leaves you alone. You're locked up and, and there's no problem. But for all of us who are believers, we need to recognize that we need to be on guard as Paul told the Ephesian elders, take heed to yourself. Remember the analogy of the guy who doesn't take a bath. He begins to stink physically. And my friend, if you don't look at yourself spiritually, if you don't examine yourself spiritually and be on guard with yourself spiritually, spiritually you will begin to, to deteriorate. You will begin to stink spiritually. Now, let's, let me just give you a warning against the wolves from Scripture. And again, the wolves we're primarily talking about here this morning, we're talking about wolves from within you. Wolves that can destroy us from within that is the greatest danger to you as an individual, and that is the greatest danger I would present to you, to you as a church. 
It's not some guy coming in and tearing the church up. It's not some individual within the church creating problems in the church. The greatest problem and the greatest danger, the, the most savage wolf that you will face is for the individual members to begin to get lax, to begin to no longer bathe spiritually, not take the filth off spiritually, to say, you know, I feel, I, I feel pretty good about myself, I'm okay. And that the whole congregation then begins to emit a noxious scent because they are not bathing. They are not bathing. So, here's the warning against that wolf. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. This is the Apostle Peter speaking. He says, Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance, remember Peter's talking to believers, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Peter is encouraging the believers of his day. He says, listen, Jesus purchased you God purchased you with the blood of Christ from your previous lifestyle. Be holy. That means to be separated. Don't try to be like the world. You're not the world. Jesus bought you out of the world. He is not going to tolerate you going back into the world. He died to take you out of the world. Don't try to be like the world. Be separate. Be holy. For I am holy. And then Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 says, Pursue peace with all people. And holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears." So there we have the writer of Hebrews. Again, the same principle. He is commanding and encouraging believers to be separate from sin. You see, there's an idea that we as believers, and this is something that Paul talks about a lot in Scripture, where when we talk about we're saved by grace through faith and not of works lest anyone should boast, there's an idea that people can get, well, hey, I'm saved by grace. And so really... God loves me no matter what. Whatever I do, I'm still saved. I'm, I'm eternally secure in God. So, you know, don't throw that legalism at me, Brother William, on your way out the door. You know, don't throw that legalism at me. Listen, it's not legalism. I love this quote from Adrian Rogers. I've used it many, many times. Some of you will remember it as I start. When God says, thou shalt not, what is he saying? Don't hurt yourself. When God in His Word says, Thou shalt, He is saying, Help yourself. God is not a cosmic killjoy waiting on you to have fun. And bah, hush that. Get that smile off your face. You can't laugh. You can't have a good time. That's not what I put you down there for. 
God, he, he bought us, remember? We belong to Him. We're His prized possession. We're His wife. We're the bride of Christ. He has purchased us with His blood. He wants to give us the best. And what He is telling us is, listen, that old lifestyle, I purchased you from that. Don't go back to that. Don't go back. Don't go back and start eating crumbs. I have a banquet prepared for you. Why do you want to eat leftovers? Why do you want to get down there with a the dog and eat his food? That's bad, isn't it? Thank you. I like a little feedback occasionally. <laughs> Just to know, y'all doing a good job. I've got two feedbacks, both of them from the Graham family. Praise the Lord. Yeah. They're listening. I appreciate that. You know, what? me, it's one of my sisters. I remember my mama got on tour. She was eating the dog food one time. She's real young, didn't know better. I think it was a high-quality Purina. It wasn't that cheap Walmart. <laughs> so I think she was okay. But, yes, yeah, she liked it. Said it was good, you know. Had to keep a watch on her. She kept digging into the dog food for a while. But you see, my mother was upset. I've got some high-quality food on the table, and you're chewing on dog food. That's God. When we keep going back to sin, and we go back to the world, and, and we say, well, I, I just want to get a little bit of this over here. And he says, why are you eating dog food? I've got a banquet prepared for you. And so that's what the Lord is trying to say. 1 John chapter 1. And we've been going through 1 John on Wednesday night. And some of you that's been with us will recognize these passages. You know, 1 John is all about wanting us to know that we have eternal life. And one of the things about John in, in his first epistle, 1 John, is that John gives a stark contrast between dark and light, between sin and righteousness. And he doesn't really give us any gray area. He just says, this is how it is. This is how it is. And, and so in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, he says, This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. And then 1 John 2, verses 3 through 6, He says, By this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He that says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. He that says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. And then 1 John 3, uh, verse 4 through 10. There John says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sin, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He that practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He that sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And for this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he that does not love his brother. Now very quickly, we've got to move on quickly here. John is not saying, he's not preaching some kind of holy perfection that, that if you commit a sin, that somehow you're not saved. What he is talking about is practice. He that does not practice righteousness. We're talking about a lifestyle. You know, 
The prodigal son is a great example. The prodigal son found himself in a pig pen and he wasn't happy. The pigs in that pig pen were extremely happy. If you are a child of God and you're out doing something that you should not do, then my friend, if you are a true child of God, God is going to be convicting you during that time. He is going to be drawing you back. You may do it, but you're not going to be happy doing it. That's always a great concern is if a person claims to be a believer and they're living a sinful lifestyle, but they seem to have no remorse and no conviction. That's what John is talking about. John is saying if you can go out there and live like that and not be convicted, well, John doesn't say maybe. He just says you're a liar. You don't know God. Because anybody that knows God is not going to live like that and yet follow Him if they truly know God. They're going to follow Him and they're going to be as He is. Well, a warning against wolves. Now, how to spot a wolf. Remember, we're not talking about people. We're talking about our own lives. How to spot a wolf. Well, if you'll go over to 1 Corinthians, and I have quoted this passage many, many times, one of my favorite passages, and I normally focus on the fact that the Bible says that this is how we used to be. And remember the, the most important word in the Bible, but. But you've been saved, you've been washed, you've been regenerated. But we're talking about the wolf within us. We're talking about sin. And you know the joke I always say, if we had a vote right now, you know, who's against sin? 100%. Unanimous. But what we're going to do is start naming them. Okay? But I'm not going to name them. I'm not going to name the things that I say are sinful. What is our basis for truth? Scripture. The Bible is our basis for truth. So we're going to take what Paul told the Corinthian church. And by the way, I know time's escaping us, but the Corinthian church was an absolute disaster. That's why the first two letters, First and Second Corinthians, are so long. Because it took Paul so much information to try to get them straightened out. The problem was that they were proud... They had spiritual gifts. They were speaking in tongues and doing all these things. And they said, boy, we are real spiritual. I mean, we're just the most spiritual church in the world. But then their lifestyle was not matching their supposed spirituality. They lived in a very wicked city. And the church was no different than their surroundings. And so Paul spends much of 1 Corinthians explaining that this type of behavior is not honoring God. And he names off. And in a classic passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, we're talking about how to spot a wolf within you. So what we're going to do is, say, is I want you to look in the mirror, and I need to look in the mirror, and we need to say, you know, is there any of these things in my life? If there are, I need to remove them, like taking a bath. I need to get in front of the mirror and get that plaque off my teeth. I need to get in the bath and get that crud off of me, or I'm going to start stinking. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, so far he hadn't stepped on any toes. He just said the unrighteous. Well, all the church at Corinth said, Well, that's not me. You know, I'm good. I'm good. But now he's going to start explicitly telling us what to look for in a wolf. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, all right, there's the first wolf. That is a fornicator. That word means sex between two people who are not married. That's premarital sex. 
any type of relationship between two people who are not married. The marriage bond is holy. I mean, if you're living together and you're not married, you're, you're fornicating. That's fornication. So Paul is saying this is sin. This is sinful. This is not pleasing to God. This is a wolf in your midst. If you live like this, Paul says, my dear friend, there's a wolf within you. This is an unrighteous way of living. Second, he says, idolaters. That simply means people who worship a false god or a false religion. Now, we don't have idols of wood and stone in our culture, but we do have a lot of idols. America more and more is becoming a, quote, non-religious society. You can look at the latest polls and, and the percentage of people who do not identify with any religious structure is more and more. But I bet, I haven't done this, but I bet you could take kind of a side-by-side comparison as interest in religion and commitment to religion goes down. You know what I think you'll find? You'll find that, that people worship goes up. Movie stars, music personalities, politicians. You see, we are wired to commit ourselves to somebody or something. We are wired to want to serve a cause greater than ourselves. And, and when people unplug from God, who is who we should be serving, they instantly want to be plugged into something else. And they will find a, a, a musician. They will find a, a, a movie star. They'll find a politician. They'll find someone that they can believe in. This person's going to give me hope. I believe in this person. This is the second coming, as people say. This is it. Idolatry. Well, he goes on. He says adulterers. Well, that's a sexual sin. And I guess if you want to be um, you know, particular, that means people who are married, but they're having sexual relations with someone who is not their spouse. That is committing adultery. That is being unfaithful to the marriage covenant. And please, friends, understand that the marriage covenant is a holy covenant. It is a holy bond. Not to be easily or quickly broken just for any reason. But it is a holy bond. So he says fornicators and adulterers. We're talking about sexual sin. Those are wolves in your midst. They can destroy you. Remember, God is not trying to keep you from having fun. But when these things happen, they destroy lives. They destroy people. They destroy things. Then he goes on. Homosexuals and sodomites. That is simply any type of same-sex Sexual activity. Homosexuality, according to Scripture, of any kind, of any flavor, is sinful. It is against the teaching of Scripture. Now, our brethren in the United Methodist Church at this very moment are undergoing a division. The church has decided to divide. Over what? Over this very issue. Homosexual marriage. There's one part of the United Methodist Church that said we're going to embrace that. We believe we should love everybody. And, and, and these people are just, they're just different. They love someone who happens to be of the same sex. And so we just need to embrace them and they should be able to be married and just let them be full participants with, with no difference. There are another group in the United Methodist Church that says, well, we agree. We should love everyone, no matter who. And we should try to help them. However, we believe in the authority of Scripture. And if Scripture says something is sinful, then we cannot accept it. And so, my friend, if you are tempted in that area, recognize that that is a sin before God. 
That's, that's not my opinion. Again, I'm just going to stick to Scripture. i got all kinds of opinions. We'd be here to 4 o'clock tonight if I was giving you all my opinions. I try to keep them out of it. But let's just stay with Scripture, okay? If you've got a problem with it, you'll have to get with the author of this book. All right, set, moving on. He says, homosexuality. He says, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves. Well, thieves, covetousness, um, I think we know that's people who take things that don't belong to themselves. It's typically seen as a forceful taking, not a, not a kind of an underhanded scheme, but, you know, just it's the classic picture of the guy who takes a pistol out and he busts into the uh, liquor store or the minute market and he says, give me all your money. And he takes the money and he runs. So a thief or one who covets something that belongs to someone else, nor drunkards. Now, we all know what a drunkard is. That is to be drunk. Now, I don't drink alcohol. That's my conviction. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that if you drink a glass of wine or you drink a glass of beer, that that's a sin. I can't give you a scripture that says that. But I will ask you to do this. If you do do that, imagine that we had DUI rules and when the policeman stopped a person who was drinking, he could not arrest them unless he asked them, are you drunk? And if they said, no, I'm not drunk. I feel good, but I'm not drunk. He has to grab something. I'm not drunk, officer. Haven't we met before? Now, who would get arrested for DUI? Nobody. Because nobody ever admits that they're drunk. If you occasionally partake in alcohol, I would ask you to do this. Ask somebody who knows you very well, who doesn't drink with you, and say, do I ever drink too much? When I drink, do I ever act differently than when I don't drink I'd encourage you to do that because you're not a good judge of whether you are a drunk, whether you get drunk. It is a sin to get drunk. Now, beyond that, they didn't have marijuana back in those days. They didn't have cocaine. I mean, the only thing they had was alcohol. So you could add to that the same principle that if you get high on some substance, and hey, it doesn't have to be something you bought down there at the corner store under the red light. It can be something a doctor gives you. And you take that and, and you get in a state that is not a normal state. That's not God's best for you. God doesn't want that for you. Next, revilers. Now that is a person basically with a sharp tongue. That is a person who will cut you seven ways from Sunday with their mouth. Now, I could say, and James gives us a whole couple of chapters on the tongue. These other sins are terrible, and, and they're definitely sins. But there are many good church folks and Sunday school members who would never think of maybe doing some of these other things and maybe never have done any of them. But boy, they got a good start on the reviling. They know how to destroy a reputation. They know how to get a rumor going. They know how to keep that rumor going. God doesn't want you to do that. And lastly, extortioners. Now, an extortioner... He's a thief. He just does it secretly. I know our time's gone here, but I'll give you a little joke from Jerry Clower that I think is, you know, illustrates this very well. Some of you don't know who he is, but look him up. He tells the story of, of uh, he said there was a deacon in the church that owned a store, a little country store, and he said there was a guy in a big old pickup with a big horse trailer behind it, just a fancy, real fancy. He can tell you it's had a lot of money. He pulled in to the little minute market store, the little, or little country store back then. He walked in and he says, look here. He said, I got, a, 
I said, I got a million dollar racehorse in the back of that vehicle. He said, I have lost my blanket. I need the best blanket you got. So he comes out with a red blanket from the back room. And he said, well, here it is. He said, how much is that blanket? He said, that blanket's $20. He said, listen. He said, I'm good of mine to throw that in the trash. You think I'm going to put a $20 blanket on a million dollar horse? He said, you must not have heard me. That's a million dollar horse. I want the best, most expensive blanket you got. He went back. He come back with a blue blanket from back there, a little bit different. He said, how much is that? He said, that's $100. He said, all right, I'll take it. He said, now this deacon, everybody, all of us were sitting there in the place, and every time he made a sale, very, very religious, he'd quote a passage of Scripture. Now, we all knew, Jerry Clower said, that he didn't sell but one brand of blanket. And they just had different colors. <laughs> and we knew that. That man didn't know that. So as soon as he walked out, we were, now what kind of Scripture is he going to quote? He just took that man for $100, or get, get, sold him $100, a $20 blanket for $100. So as soon as the guy walked out, the man says, he rang it up, put the $100 bill in the cash register, closed it. He said, he was a stranger, and I took him in. <laughs> Extortioners. Now, there are a lot of us that wouldn't pull out a gun and, and kick in the door to the local minute market and rob it, but we'll take advantage of folks. We'll take advantage of folks like that store owner did, that guy swinging by. We see an opportunity to make a lot of money off of somebody that doesn't know the whole story. We'll do that. Now, it's not wrong to make money. I, I have a business. We try to be profitable, as profitable as we can every month, every week, actually, you know, every day. Nothing wrong with being profitable. But we're talking about profiting off of deception. Profiting off of deception, not being honest with people and deceiving people and, and making people think they're getting something that they're really not. That's a wolf. Don't be that person. Well, my time is absolutely up. But very quickly, I want to read Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now, this is Paul again. And Paul basically gives the same list. But the reason I wanted to read this in Corinthians, he's got a group of people that he's trying to rein in. They're basically doing all kind of things at this church. And he's trying to say, ho, 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 y'all are way out of line here. However, in Galatians, Galatians is the opposite. When Paul wrote the book of Galatians... He was writing to a group of people who were very legalistic. And they were, they were looking to rules to show that they were truly believers. And so Galatians is known as the book about Christian liberty. That, that here's a book that tells us, matter of fact, it's where we get the famous passage, for by grace are you saved, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Galatians is all about you are free in Christ. You're free in Him. And it's interesting that he mentions to them about the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. He says in verse 16, Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And, and you'll see many of these are the same ones that I just mentioned. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Basically, those two words are just sexual... It could be... A good example from today would be pornography. It might not actually be, you know, going out with someone and engaging in an illicit act, but it's all type of uncleanness, things that are involved in that. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, 
jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you before, as I've also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, and let us not become conceited, provoking one another, and envying one another. Well, I just told you how to kill a wolf. Told you what a wolf looks like. These are lists from Scripture, from the New Testament, things that are, should be prohibited to a believer. Things that should not characterize a believer's life. And I, I challenge you, if you'll go back and read these two passages and study them in depth, you'll find that, that you're going you're gonna to have a problem with some of them. We all do. I do. You do. There's some of these in this list that we wrestle with. And that's what I'm talking about. Take heed to yourself. Yes, there's a danger that some guy will come in here and tear the church up, but probably not. There's some danger that one of you would rise up and just be a troublemaker and blow the whole place up, but probably not. But I implore you, beware the wolf within. Look out for the wolves without. They're there. But perhaps most dangerous of all is the wolf within. These are wolves that I have mentioned. These are behaviors that will destroy a Christian and a church's witness in the community. Destroy the ability to minister to others. Don't let these rear up. Don't let these take over in your personal life. And if they don't take over in your personal life, you won't have to worry about them taking over in the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for your word. And God, we know that every command of yours is a good command. That your laws are not burdensome. But God, they are meant to give us liberty. They're meant to give us peace. They're meant to give us joy. And God, I pray that if there's one here today, God, who looks at your word and says, you know, I don't like that. That bothers me. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would draw them with cords of love and they would understand, God, that Your Word is not meant to condemn but to convict and to cleanse and to draw and to make us who You created us to be. Father, again, I thank You for this body and I pray Your blessing upon them. I pray for the Holy Spirit to be present in this place for many, many years to come. And God, if there's one here today that needs to make a public decision for You, I pray they will do that this day in Jesus' name. Amen. You're here today, maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I encourage you to do that. If God is speaking to you this morning, maybe you want to come pray. You just obey the Holy Spirit as we stand and sing.